How are y'all? Good, I hope. Uh, I am so excited uh, for today's message. We are in a series called Off the Map, as Mike has said, uh, and we've been looking at different aspects of, of what it means to follow God, and that when you follow Jesus, uh, he necessarily calls you off the map. First week we talked about finding and following God's will and, and how the Bible isn't really a roadmap for life. It's more of a, of a playbook and, and God's got some principles that we need to follow, but he's not going to tell you where to move, what house to buy, who to marry, those types of things. And you're not going to find that in reading, reading the Bible, but you'll find principles that will guide those decisions. And, uh, and oftentimes they're counterintuitive uh, and God calls us off the map in that way. Last couple weeks we We've been talking a little bit about holiness and what it means, what holiness means. When we think of holiness, we think of like, you know, lots of rules and regulations. But really what God calls us to is to live differently than the world around us, to be different and set apart for his purposes. And, uh, and, and if you've missed the last couple weeks of messages, you can see, view them online at vineyardwheeling.com or on our app. If you haven't downloaded the app, that's an easy place to go back and watch messages. And now you can uh, sign up for the podcast on Spotify and Apple and we'll deliver the messages each week to your, to your phone. So uh, those are all good ways to catch up if you've missed along the way. Um, let me ask you this question. Anybody... Uh, familiar with the, the mini-series, or not the mini-series, the series on Netflix called Stranger Things. Oh, a lot more in this service than last service. Excellent, excellent. The, the late risers have been up late binge-watching Stranger Things. You know, Stranger Things is uh, it's, it's a fascinating um, it's a fascinating show. It leaves you with more questions than answers. Lots of really profound questions like, you know, this third dimension that they found or that's, the, I mean, is that a spiritual thing? Is it just a third dimension? Did the Russians come up with this? Did the, did the CIA come up with it? Are they working together? I mean, you just have more questions than answers. And the biggest question of all is how did they capture the 1980s so well, right? I mean, if anybody grew up in the 80s? Awesome, right? And I love the resurgence of 80s music and, and style and all of that. It kind of goes back to this television show. It's amazing. Um, but anyway, and it's kind of spooky, right? Well, today we're going to look at a, a, a passage of Scripture that's kind of spooky. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 28. And so if you brought your Bibles, you got a paper Bible today, uh, and you don't know how to find 1 Samuel, it's in the Old Testament, and you can go to your index, find 1 Samuel, and then turn to chapter 28. If you have a digital Bible, press on 1 Samuel and then 28. It's easy enough. You know how to get there. Uh, and this story, you're going to be like, that's in the Bible? I had no idea that was in the Bible because nobody ever teaches on it. We don't have the, the, the coloring page for this in children's church because it just raises way too many questions and there's way too much to explain. Uh, and we are going to go off the map today. Are you ready? All right, let's pray because I'm going to need some guidance. Lord, would you uh, just fill this time and place with your purpose for each one of our lives? Lord, I pray that you would speak. Uh, to our hearts, and you would guide us closer to you through this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me paint the picture for you. It's, the year is 1030 B.C. There are three men, they're military folks, and they are dressed in civilian clothes. They are in disguise. 
because they're in enemy territory. And they're on their way to do something that is completely off the map, completely, really against the rules. Um, they, they, they are, um, you know, they got the, the hood over their heads and they've got the little, you know, the glasses with the nose and the mustache because they are, they are in disguise. They do not want to be caught because one of them is the king. And if he is caught, game is over. The war is over. They've lost everything. And we'll pick up in 1 Samuel 28, 1, and it says this. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. If you read through the Old Testament, the Philistines and the Israelites are historic enemies. They're always fighting one another. It goes back a long way. The king, Achish, said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in my army. And you're thinking to yourself, if you're familiar with the name David, King David, the guy who fought Goliath, the great Israelite uh, warrior and eventually the great Israelite king. He's not king yet. A guy named Saul is king. And Saul has been uh, chasing David. He's jealous of David, and he's worried that David will become the next king. And so he's chasing David down. He's trying to kill David, and David's been on the run for a very long time. And finally, in exasperation, David goes across enemy lines to the Philistines and says, can we find refuge here? I'm sorry about your giant. I mean, I did kill your giant. I'm sorry about that. But can, can I stay here and find refuge here? And so he does, because Saul's... King Saul's trying to kill him. And so David is there, and the king says, well, you're coming with us. We're going on the attack, and you're coming with us. And David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. And Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So here we have David, the next king of Israel, fighting for and with the enemy, really protecting the king. That's, that's, what he's, that's his, his job, and his, he's got about 600 men with him behind enemy lines, and they are in they are fully inside the territory of Israel. Now Samuel was dead. Now Samuel's the prophet. And I know this is a lot of explaining, but once we get through this, the story will begin to flow. Samuel was the prophet of God who, who anointed uh, Saul, the king who's king now, to be king. And anointed David to be the next king after Saul was done. And Samuel died a few years ago. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. That will be important in a moment. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw, the, that's not easy to say, when Saul saw Say that real quick. When Saul saw, Saul, all right. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid, and terror filled his heart. One of the things that we're going to see about Saul is one of his primary motivators is fear, and certainly as in this situation, he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, "Find me a woman who is a medium. Some translations say a witch." or a spiritist, or someone who communes with the dead. Find me a woman who practices in, in the arts of the occult, so I may go and inquire of her. There's one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman, and he said, consult a spirit for me. Bring up for me the one I name. Now this is so... <laughs> This is so weird. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. Uh, and there's so much that we can learn from it. Now, 20 years before chapter 9, God 
told the Israelites, and he told them before 20 years ago, but he told them 20 years ago in chapter 9, that they're to be holy and set apart and different from the world around them, and that the rest of the world around them, all the countries around them, they all have kings. But Israel's not going to have a king. God says, I'm the Lord your God. I will be the king. And you'll have prophets and you'll have judges, but I will be the king. And the people of Israel said, awesome, great, now give us a king. And they kept asking and asking and asking. And finally, God said, all right. You're going to have a king. You're, not gonna, you're gonna regret it, but you can have a king. And uh, they, they uh, pick a guy named Saul. Now, Saul is taller than the rest of the country. Uh, he's head and shoulders, it says, above the rest of the, of the, the nation. He's a tall man, he's a warrior. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's who they chose. And the prophet Samuel anointed Saul to be king. Now, So we have a guy named Tall Saul, who's king of Israel, but it's Tall Saul has a heart of fear, and he's more concerned with what people think of him than with what God thinks of him, all right? And we'll see this unfold in this, in this account. Now, early on, Saul goes to the prophet and works with the prophet. The prophet Samuel is the one who anointed him to be the king, and uh, and. And really, in this situation, the prophet Samuel probably has more weight in the eyes of the people than the king does. Because they're a theocracy. They're following God. They're different than the world around them. And Saul, Saul needs Samuel. He needs Samuel's approval. He needs Samuel's guidance. He needs all of that. And so he gets instruction from Samuel. And he follows the instructions and the, and the commands mostly. And this is another problem. He's partially obedient to God's commands, and, uh, and, and this ends up being a problem for Saul in the long run. In 1 Samuel 15, God sends uh, or gives Saul the instructions to go out and fight the Amalekites. The Amalekites are wicked people. They, they attack uh, not armies but women and children. They rape and pillage, and they are incredibly wicked, and God gives Saul the command through Samuel to go and wipe out the Amalekites completely, to exercise God's judgment on them. And, and, and so they go into battle, and Saul wins the battle and does what God had told him to do, mostly. He, he kept a couple trophies. He kept the king. Uh, he kept uh, the men, kept some of the best animals in the country for their, their own use and some plunder and whatnot. And they weren't supposed to. That wasn't the instructions that they received. So as they're coming back out of the battlefield, they won handily. And Samuel approaches Saul and says, what is this bleating of sheep that I hear in my ears? What are these animals? Well, clearly you have not obeyed. And Saul says to the prophet Samuel, look, um, you know, we needed some, he's got a good excuse. We needed some sacrifices to bring before God, and we figured we'd just use their animals and, and uh, some, of, some of their animals for those sacrifices. And uh, Samuel responds with this. This is a famous line in 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? We talk about that a lot around here. God wants obedience from us because obedience is is really the, the same thing as surrender like I'm surrendering to God I'm going to obey God and not just mostly he wants total obedience <laughs> to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams 
For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. And so Saul is sorry, but Saul is sorry that he got caught. Saul is sorry that he has upset the prophet because he needs the prophet, right? And, 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 and he needs him to be with him. He needs him to worship with him and, the, you know, all of that. Because if he's going to look good in the eyes of the people, he needs the prophet to be with him. He's sorry. He's really sorry that he got caught. And he's got a great excuse, you know. He was afraid of the men. I mean, the, the men, part of why they go to war is for the plunder. And if we can't have any plunder, and i I, I got to look good in my, the eyes of my men. So he has an excuse. I'm sorry, but i got an excuse, right? How often do you do that? How often do I do that? God, I'm so sorry, but. And we have an excuse. Now I beg you, he says, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. I need you to come back and worship the Lord with me because everybody's watching. And if I don't have your approval, then, then things are going to be bad for me. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Well, as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and he tore it. And I want you to just visualize this with me. Samuel, or Saul, is like gripped with fear. Like, no, you can't walk away from me. No, I, I need you. No. And he grabs the hem of his, his robe. Now, the prophet's robe is kind of their mantle. This is one of the distinguishing factors for them. Everybody in the room would have gone, <gasps> that didn't just happen. And he grabs his, his robe and it tears. And Samuel uses that as kind of an object lesson. He says, he says the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Now, all this is 15 years before the account we're looking at today. Samuel and Saul go their separate ways. They don't talk again. Eventually, Samuel the prophet dies and the nation mourns for him. And now, 15 years later, the Philistines have invaded Israel. They're 20 miles inside of Israel. They've split the country north and south. It's kind of think northern Panhandle, West Virginia, just a little bit wider than that. I mean, they have split the country, and it is terrifying because if they can establish these lines, they can conquer the nation. They can conquer the northern half and then go conquer the southern half. And it is life and death for Israel, and Saul, the king, is terrified. It doesn't look good. And God in the midst of all of it is silent. God isn't answering his prayers. He's not giving him dreams. The prophets have nothing to say that seems like it's from God. They have this thing called Ur Urim, which are these little stones that the, the chief priest wore a vest with these stones. And somehow, we don't even know how, they would use them to somehow discern the will of God. And, and they weren't getting anything from that either. Nothing. God is radio silent. Saul is terrified. And Saul says, I know what we'll do. Get me a witch. And somebody said, burn her. 
Actually, that's not in there. That's Monty Python's Holy Grail, um, which is not scripture, just, just to be clear. Um, no, he, he says, get me, get me somebody who practices in the occult, someone who can talk to the dead. That's what we need. Now, he has kicked out. He passed the law years before and kicked all the witches out of the country, all the mediums and spiritists or whatever you want to call them. He's kicked them all out of the country because they are an offense to God. And now he's like, get me one. And they're like, well, you kicked them all out of the country. He says, well, mostly there is that one. There's that one over in Endor. I love that name. Don't you? Endor. It sounds like it should be out of the Lord of the Rings. Technically, it's out of Star Wars, but it should be out of Lord of the Rings. And so go get me the witch from Endor. <laughs> love where this is going. Now, in case you're thinking that Saul is a good role model to follow, he is not. Okay? Consulting witches, mediums, spiritists, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, I could go on and on and on. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. God is very clear about how he feels about those things. In Leviticus 19.31, it says, this is the Lord speaking, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists and other translations or witches or you know, those who commune with the dead or whatever else. For you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. He says, I'm God. You don't, you don't, it's like idolatry, right? I mean, it's like you're, you're trying to, to fill that need in your life with something that's not me. I'm God. Do not go there. In Leviticus 20, verse 6, it says this, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them. How do you think God feels about this? You don't want God's face set against you. And I will cut them off from their people. So in no way, shape, or form should you walk away from this message and go, well, what I need to do is find a good psychic. No. No, 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 no. That is not what you need to do. If you've got that kind of spiritual junk going on in your life, whether it be Ouija boards, tarot cards, seances, horoscopes, and I could go on and on and on, get it out. God is very, very clear about that. But, and this is where we go off the map, in this situ specific situation, God shows up in the midst of this. It's really kind of, this is why, it's really, it's kind of like, what do you do with that? This is why we don't have the Witch of Endor coloring page for our kids up in Children's Church, right? This is why you've never heard this story before. There's just too much to explain. But we're going to. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna trudge through because there's so much to learn here. So there's one in Endor. Endor! Perfect. We'll go to Endor. And Saul just happens to be so desperate for answers, so desperate to win, so desperate to hold on to his power that he's willing to violate his own rule, he's willing to violate God's command, and he's willing to risk his life and his nation to dress up and wander through enemy territory in the middle of the night and spend some time in a witch's tent. Wow. It's pretty pathetic. So he puts on his disguise, they sneak through enemy territory, and they come to the tent of the witch. It's the middle of the night, the darkest part of the night, and he knocks on the door of the tent, you know, and there's rustling inside the tent, and she comes out. She's like, who are you? What is this? And Saul, he doesn't, he doesn't mince 
his words. He says, consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But she can smell out a government conspiracy from a mile away. She knows that they've all been kicked out, that what she does is illegal, and these guys are not the normal customers, and this is not the time of the day that we do this. And so she says, but the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. She doesn't know it's Saul. He's got the, the nose and the mustache on. Surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Well, Saul swore to her by the Lord, which is just rich because Saul hasn't really had any good communication with the Lord for about 15 years, and he's swearing by God to a witch. <laughs> can't write, the, he can't make this stuff up. As surely as the Lord lives, he says, you will not be punished for this. And then the woman said, well, okay then. Whom shall I bring up for you? And he says, bring up Samuel. Now, isn't that interesting? Bring up Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You're Saul. So Samuel clearly identifies who she's talking to, and, and, and uh, she realizes now she's in big trouble. Well, Saul sets her at ease. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? You know, basically, I've promised you I'm not going to hurt you. I really need to know what the, what the prophet Samuel has to say. And the woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe, probably a robe with a torn hem, is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Now, here we are. Let's stop here for a minute. Thousand questions, right? Like, what the heck is going on here? What is going, I mean, how, how did this make the Bible? <laughs> I mean, we know clearly God doesn't want us messing with the occult. Like that's, that's clear. The Bible is, is so clear about that. It's, you know, it, it, it is on the scale somewhere between, depending on which situation you're in, between a sham and the demonic. Between being taken advantage of. And, and looking for answers in a place other than God and the demonic. And either way, God doesn't want us in, in that, that realm. And here, Samuel shows up. And I really think that it was Samuel. Like, that's not normally what happens. Like, we don't go talk to dead relatives. If there's something genuine going on there, it's demonic activity. Now, if you have had conversations with dead relatives and in, in, you know, or somebody showed up to you in a dream, our minds are incredibly powerful that way, but it's not, not them. And so this woman, here she is, she is freaked out of her mind. And she would have been used to saying some vague generalities that sound really specific. Like, oh, how, how did you know that? Because I know how to work you. Or she was used to listening to spiritual influences, but it was demonic spiritual influences. And that would have been normal for her. But this, she'd never seen anything like this before. This freaked her out. And I think it really was Samuel. And you're like, well, how can that be? I mean, God can't do that, right? Or God shouldn't do that. But yet, Samuel's about to speak the word of God. He's truly off the map. 
Now, I don't think he's endorsing the practice. I don't think God, by having this in his word, is saying, well, what we should do is we should intentionally go to dark places and then he'll show up. That is not the point. But I do think when we find ourselves in dark places, that oftentimes God will show up. And sometimes we don't think he should. This is Samuel. And Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul, Saul has an excuse. Guess, it's his M.O. It's been his M.O. since chapter 9. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called you to tell me what to do, and he doesn't want to know what to do. The battle lines have already been drawn. The armies are lined up. There's going to be a battle tomorrow. He wants to win. He wants some God fairy dust blessing. And he can't get to God, so he figures if I can call up Samuel, Samuel can get to God, and he can give me some blessing, and we can win this thing tomorrow. That's what he wants. But Saul falls short of total obedience, but he has good reasons, and that's his MO all along the way. Well, Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord, and he predicted this, verse 17, he predicted this back in, in, in chapter 15 and verse 28. He said these exact same words. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors. It's exact same words. <laughs> Samuel's like, just going to tell you what I told you before. He's given it to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Not in heaven, but in death. They're going to die tomorrow. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Everything you're afraid of, Saul, it's all going to happen tomorrow. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all day and all that night. And the next day, they get up and they go to battle. And Saul is killed and his sons are killed. And Israel loses everything just the way Samuel said it would happen. The end. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. What do we do with that? I mean, can you think of some stranger things? I mean, bizarre. I mean, here's the king of Israel in a witch's tent in the middle of the night, breaking his own laws, breaking God's command, looking for God's blessing in a place where God's blessing isn't to be found. Where do we go with this? Well... I've got four things for you real quick as we wrap up. First thing is this. God requires repentance, not excuses. God requires repentance, not excuses. Saul has had 15 years to repent rather than going, well, but, well, but, well, but. We're very good at well, buts, aren't we? How well is your butt? I'm just kidding. I just, it's not in here. I don't know where that came from. But that's what we do. You know, repentance is different. Repentance is, God, I'm sorry. 
And it's not just I'm sorry, because I'm sorry is different than repentance. It's part of it. It's part of it. But we think, well, I said I was sorry. You know, that's my, you know when your kids are fighting and one of them, one of them hurts the other, and, the, and they're saying, well, I said I was sorry. Well, I, I'm sorry might not be good enough. Maybe you need to actually help them put a Band-Aid on it or something. I don't know. But repentance is more than I'm sorry. I'm sorry is part of it. But repentance is owning it. Repentance is turning and going in the other direction. See, King David, the next king of Israel, is a man after God's own heart and probably messed up in more ways than Saul did. But David knew how to repent. David fell on his face before God, owned it, and said, I'm not doing this anymore, and then didn't. And he walked in the other direction. Saul made excuses for 15 years. It was his M.O. God requires repentance, not excuses. You know, Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago ultimately to die for the sins of the world because the consequence for your sins and mine is death. And he died for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world. It is a, the gift of forgiveness is available to anyone who will embrace it. But the doorway to that gift is repentance, not excuses. And for some of us, we've been yeah button it a lot. Well, I'm sorry, God, but. And we continue on because we have a great excuse. And today, God is calling you to repentance because he requires repentance, not excuses. Number two, God wants you to live for his glory, not yours. Saul was about his glory. He was about preserving his power. He was about his family being the, the rulers over Israel in perpetuity. It was about Saul, not about God. If you're a follower of Jesus, God wants you to live for the glory of God, not for your glory. So let me ask you, whose glory are you living for? Whose reputation are you most concerned with? Who are you most concerned about as far as how you look on social media or at work or wherever else? God wants you to live for his glory, not yours. Three, God wants you to seek him, not what he can do for you. God wants you to seek him, not what he can do for you. How much of our prayer lives are, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And I think God wants our prayers to be, God, shape me, form me, draw me, pull me closer. What do I, is there anything in my life that is a block between me and you? Is there anything that, do I have a blind spot that's offensive to you that I need to deal with? Well, let me ask you this, let's just bring it home, make it real. Why are you here? Why do you come to church? I think for so many people... They come to church because they figure if they can check off the God box and say, well, I went to church, so now God has to bless my work, my kids, my marriage, my whatever, go down the list. It's I'm going to keep God happy by doing, doing the God thing and checking off the God box this week so everything goes well with me. And, and, and you wouldn't even really consciously know that, but if you stop and think about it, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's what I've been doing. And so... For you, let me just encourage you to pause and go, is that what you've been doing? Because God wants you to seek him for him, 
not for what he can do for you. And as we do, the blessings of God come, be sure. Four, God is at work in the darkest of places. God is at work. I mean, how much darker can it get? The nation is teetering on the edge. They're split in half by their enemies. Their leaders are about as far from God as you can get. There's a, they're on the brink of an unwinnable war. Their enemies are stacked against them, against them, and their king is in a witch's tent in the middle of the night. It's dark. But here's what I know. Many of us are in dark places. I, 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 every week I get a list of usually six or nine pages of prayer requests. And I can't tell you how tired I am of reading cancer, 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 marriage hanging by a thread, financial ruin, <laughs> my kids are off the rails. And I'm not tired of reading those things, but it breaks me like, like, oh my gosh, it feels like a really dark place. Does it? And if you're living in one of those places, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a follower of Jesus, God shows up in the darkest of places. You are not alone. He is with you. We, we, we experience that differently, right? For a few reasons. One, because we have the big picture. We have the big picture. I read the end of the book. Guess what? You win. We win. And yes, there will be dark times in our lives. Every one of us will go through them. But God is with you. He'll never forsake you. He shows up in the darkest of places. And even as we walk through those dark places, we have to keep in mind that your short time on this planet is the closest to hell that you're ever going to come. It is. Heaven awaits us. We live in light of eternity. And in the midst of the darkness, God is at work. In the midst of the darkness, God shows up. In the midst of the darkness, God will accomplish his purpose for you and is accomplishing his purpose in your life. In the midst of the darkness, you are not alone. And because of that, because of that, we walk differently through the darkness. We walk through the darkness differently, don't we? We do. You know, I do funerals and as, as a pastor, and, and when I... When I'm doing a funeral for someone who is a follower of Jesus and, and really had a vibrant relationship with God and, and their family's all gathered and they know that, that's so different than someone who doesn't have that hope. It's completely different. At one point, a funeral director pulled me aside and said, what is it with you, with you vineyard people? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, These are really, every time somebody from the vineyard dies, it's like a party. I'm like, well, I mean, we're sad. We're going to miss them, but we're going to see them again. It's like a family reunion and we have this hope and we walk through the darkness differently because God is with us. Because ultimately in the end we win. And because God shows up in the darkest of places. So let me ask you, how do you need to live differently in light of this message? For some of us, we need to stop making excuses and we need to repent. And you know exactly who you are. For some of us, we need to stop living for our glory and start living for God's.
For some of us, we need to find God in the midst of the darkness. You're just overwhelmed by the darkness, and you're like, where is God in this? And you think God has abandoned you. He has not. He is right there with you. For some of us, we need to stop messing with the occult. We need to go home and burn the Ouija board and the tarot cards and stop going to the, to the psychic and all the other things. You just need to stop doing that. And probably get some prayer because you're messing with some really dangerous spiritual crap. But what do you need to do? What do you need to do? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Pull out your program. Pull out your notes if you don't have them out. And I want you to write down right now one thing that you need to do in response to this message. And I will call you out if you're not pulling the notes out. Vicki, pull them out. Come on. Logan, get them out, buddy. Come on. No, I'm coming for you next. Pull out the notes. Write it down because it, co- it becomes real when we write it down. And I know there's something in here for you. And as I pray, you can write that down. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming after us, Lord. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you that, that, Lord, you don't require partial obedience. You require complete obedience because your ways are the best for us. God, I pray that you would help each one of us just know what our next step is. And, Lord, that you would give us the courage to take it. In Jesus' name, amen.